Welcome to part two of Health System CIO's interview with William Walders, CIO at Health First. In this segment, Walders talks about what he did to help standardize the IT department and increase transparency, the enormous benefits CIOs can realize from reviewing contracts, and how his military career helped prepare him for his current role. Yeah, that, that certainly seems like um, a big step in the direction of digital health or, you know, consumerism movement. And, and I'm sure that that's a, a position satisfier as well, or at least that's, that's the hope. No, it absolutely is. I mean, not to disparage the prior EHR, but it was versions behind. It was lacking tools that we would all consider the standard. And quite honestly, it's not only improved the existing position satisfaction, but you know, we have independent physicians still in our community. And as I mentioned, you know, we have our own health where we employ our own physicians. It's been now a, a huge recruiting tool and is paying dividends uh, for physicians to gain uh, access to the tools like we offer for their own practices. Okay. And what are some of the other big objectives from an IT standpoint? Yeah, I've got a few. We've grown immensely. Like I said, we're $2 billion and we grew organically from there's a health plan we partnered with. We partnered, had an acquisition for a medical group. We acquired hospitals, and this all kind of got bolted on. And as a result, the IT just kind of came along with it. And if such a thing as bolt-on IT existed, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, mm-hmm. it is, in essence, the environment I inherited. So mm-hmm. standardizing that environment, the discipline of IT service management or IT business management, that's my number one priority is building the framework for basic blocking and tackling of IT, people speaking the same language, and then more importantly, providing transparency to the services that we provide from all things resources, right? So for the financial side, so we, we can articulate the finance folks who are always hypercritical of IT as to what we're doing and with the funds that we're entrusted with. And then, you know, from a, a leadership perspective, right, we're just properly managing resources, having folks understand how they work together, what services are dependent on others. So, so that's the number one priority is getting that framework in place. Second one is all things data. When I got here, data was in disparate locations, much like IT. When people struggle with getting a service, they'll build it themselves or some faction will be mm-hmm. deemed as the uh, the best way, and then they'll start doing it. So I right. was blessed with the opportunity to, to aggregate all the disparate data and, and analytics cells, I'll call them. They weren't as mature as departments. You know, you just had these centers of excellence amongst the IDN. Yeah. Aggregate those, and then right now we're in the assessment phase, what I'm calling the data plumbing is mapping where everything is, how it interacts, getting a clear understanding of that, and then creating a single data layer that everyone can come to. On top of that being a single visualization layer where everybody can come to consume services. Because right now they're getting it from disparate sources and inefficient ways. The data is going up through different channels and, and may not be timely and maybe not even accurate by the time it gets done just due to the disparate nature. A lot of things around information governance and management. We've got document management. We've got a, a lot of legacy systems here that need to be modernized. And then all of these things need to be filed in an enterprise architecture construct. I'm calling it enterprise archaeology right now. We're discovering a lot of things. Um, right. And committing quadrupling the size of our enterprise architecture staff, so from three to, to 14, so a little more than that. So build a framework, have a clear understanding, support the IDN from an IDN level as opposed to a point solution level. So mm-hmm. really excited about that. And again, thankfully got all of these funded. So it was almost fortuitous timing. I came here right as we were having these conversations and was able to then get the resources needed to do it. And then all things rationalization is another priority. Uh, Applications is is widely known. I kind of hinted at some of the data rationalization that I'm doing. One thing I'm really good at is I I cut my teeth early on in my military career as 
kind of a comptroller or CFO type, uh, and then flock to IT. So I've got a pretty good discipline when it comes to finance accounting and contract management. So one of the things I started doing when I got here was contract rationalization and immediately seeing some opportunities for cost savings, which is really good. And then last but not least from my priorities perspective, and probably the most important, is professional development for the staff. I've always had this number in my head for, gosh, 15 plus years I've been CIO of some place of about $5,000 a person per year to maintain your IT certifications to be relevant in our field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I initially had a little pushback when I got here about that. With staff of almost 400, do the quick math there, $2 million budget line item and naively, you know, can be considered as sending people to conferences. But they start to dug a little deeper and, you know, we're in a county in Brevard County here that competes highly for talent. Blue Origins building millions of square foot facility, Amazon's here, the entire Space Coast, and then doesn't stop there. You know, Harris is a big defense industry contractor here that competes with talent for us. So, you know, we've got to do the things to retain these folks. And it's a funny quip. And somebody at the board meeting asked me, or our senior leadership meeting, you know, what if we train these people and they leave? And I turned around and said, hey, what if we don't train these folks? They get complacent and stay, right? So yeah. needless to say, I got the, uh, the resources needed and the staff are enthusiastic about where we're going from a professional development perspective. Yeah. Okay. Wow. A lot of interesting stuff there. Um, One of the things I wanted to touch on was when you talked about the contracts and reworking some of the contracts, I imagine that if that's one of your first priorities, that seems like a a really good place to kind of get some quick wins and and win over some support for some of the other asks that IT is going to have. Absolutely. They're called good guys here, like positive variants, probably in other areas, you know. So where do you mm-hmm. find some good guys? I've always done this as CIO. What better way than to pull every contract you have to understand what it is you own and then do? You know, I work half days here, I call them, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., so it's only half a day. But, you know, it's great reading from 7 to midnight. You're going through every contract. And I did have had a few quick wins. Something doesn't look right, ask the question, I'm like, hey, what is this? And like, oh, we haven't done that in six years. And I was like, oh, that's great. And, you know, we continue to renew this contract <laughs> somehow. Mm-hmm. So it's all this right away. But more importantly, as I mentioned, a couple hundred contracts, you look right away. You can get a pretty good understanding of what services we consume, but then you quickly start to do some rationalization in your mind as well. So it gave me some great perspective upon starting. Sure. And when so many things that you want to do as the new CIO, is it a challenge to uh, prioritize and kind of figure out, all right, what needs to be done right now? What can wait this long? What can wait that long? Yeah. How did you kind of approach that? Yeah, I approach it short, medium, and long term. The things I described to you, I'm going to start in FY20, so now. And I do all things in this planning and assessment phase, or more like discovery and assessment. It's like phase one, phase 1A, then planning phase two, and then ex- execution phase three. So I'm at various levels of maturity for all those things in FY20. They have a medium range plan and then a long-term plan from a tactical perspective, right? All of these things obviously align to topics I discussed earlier, our priorities, ease of access, delighting our customer, decreasing customer costs, convenience for our staff, and then delivering an exceptional product. Thankfully, time on the pond is how you kind of figure out how long these things are going to take. And I always joke, you can do anything with enough people, time, and money. And when time's constrained, you throw enough people and money at it, we can certainly get it done. But um, it's just a balance. Uh, like I said, yeah. in the near term, I absolutely have to fix our disparate data source problem, create a single data source, and I have to put framework in place from an IT service management perspective that we can intake a customer request or service request, articulate what it is IT does, 
from a resource perspective and build a common lexicon for the staff to communicate amongst one another. And these are tools like Service Desk, Asset Management, Incident Management tools, ServiceNow, Avanti, Salesforce mm-hmm. kind of stuff. What we have now is woefully deficient to be kind and needs to have a significant level of maturity improvement. So looking at your LinkedIn and your experience, pretty good variety. A lot of it certainly was on the military side. But can you talk about how your background helped prepare you for this role? I mean, you touched a bit on the, on the financial experience, but can you talk about how your roles with Defense Health Agency, like Walter Reed, and how that really helped prepare you for this role now? Yeah, great questions. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to go even further back. You know, I started as a nuclear engineer on a submarine 22 years ago. Wow. And um, kind of how I cut my teeth, you know, our submarine systems were converting things like mag tape, paper tape, and vacuum tubes, um, quite literally, if you know anything about computing mm-hmm. from the 60s and 70s, into That's what great. we called commercial office shelf, right? So rack-mounted servers, things of that nature. So it came with an extra 150 bucks a month for me to have my day job and manage the entire IT infrastructure for a submarine. So I <laughs> raised my hand. That's how I learned. And at some point, that got boring, as weird as that sounds. And the Navy had another opportunity for me to go do healthcare IT for any of our 400 plus hospitals and clinics in Defense Health. So took that opportunity and kind of grew up from there. So when I made that transition, the Navy did something really great for me and sent me to get my MBA and MHA full time. So paid me my salary. Those two years counted towards my pension and retirement. And I went and did that. And during that, I knew after going to HIMSS, talking to peers, guys like Rusty Yeager, who's an Air Force retiree, Drex DeFord, Wes Wright, another Air Force guy, <laughs> people you probably know. I and mean, I remember yeah. having those conversations early on. Of, How'd you guys transition? What's that look like? Because I know this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Military has a different idea for you. They want you to grow in responsibility <laughs> and then one day go lead troops into battle, a ship at sea, et cetera. And I just love being CIO. So I knew yeah. there was going to be a point where which I did. I went from small hospitals to a medium hospital to a hospital ship and then to you know our largest one, uh, Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. I knew I had capped out. So pretty much that entire time I was working with those guys to get an understanding of what it looked like on the other side. And boy, is it drastically different. And I believed it early on, but I didn't know to what extent it was. So thankfully, um, you know, I started operating in essence like a commercial hospital early on. And that was ridiculously successful. One, it differentiated me from my peers. I started operating like a business. I'll be honest, in, in DOD, folks can sometimes get complacent on the amount of resources that are available at your because there's millions and billions in some cases. When I worked on the Cerner project, we quite literally had $12 billion with a B, not million, right? And that's very wow. different. I'd been preparing for this, working with Hims, Chime, seeking out mentors. And then when I retired, I, I like saying that in quotes because I was 41 when it happened. I was looking for jobs. You know, I wanted to get to Florida. I'm a Florida boy. grew up here and pretty much targeted the Southeast for several reasons. Uh, family here, love the climate, et cetera. And um, when Health First came up, I jumped at the opportunity and here I am. So to answer your original question, all those prepared me, you know, diversity of assignments. They're almost identical jobs with the exception of I had zero experience from an EHR and a RevCycle perspective. We do RevCycle a little different in DOD. Um, and I'll tell you, I felt like that was a, a bit of a fatal fall when I was interviewing and never dealt with Epic in my life. And for some reason, a lot of, I won't say a lot, but several folks cared about that. I joked, yeah. if I didn't want to work at an organization that needed an Epic subject matter expert as their CIO. But anyway, um, so without that, I felt like it was like for like, you know, the people I was interviewing next to and across from for some of these roles, uh, we spoke the same language. And I have been for years at uh, Chime, ACHE, HIMS, et cetera. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, 
visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.